Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Yeah, hi, Darren Gordon here, Managing Director of Centaurus Metals, ASX Listed, uh, looking to develop the Jaguar Nickel Sulfide Project in the Carajas Mineral Province of Northern Brazil. Darren, welcome aboard. Good to have you on here. No relation, of course. Need to point that out to folks, <laughs> just in case. No nepotism. No, no, no nothing, no nepotism there. Um, no, well, like, me. really, really good to be here. Thank, well, like, I'm glad, glad you're here because I think nickel's obviously very hot at the moment. I think there's um, very few good nickel projects. We had a look at you a few months ago. Yes, I think, I think you, you, we first heard about you during the sort of uh, Met Sox sort of nickel uh, conference as well. And I think you know, um, since I've been following you closely, so like, today I think we're just going to maybe help you introduce us to your story better in your own words. Um, so I'm, I'm intrigued in a few things, and I'd like to kind of go through, obviously, the, the the team, the business model strategy, you know, and how you're going to be able to deliver that. So if you don't mind, we'll treat today as a sort of um, an, an awareness um, program, yeah, and then sure. perhaps if you come back on, we can Absolutely. deep dive, okay? So that's setting the tone for anyone watching this. Right, so tell us a bit about you. What's your background? Yeah, look, I'm a bean counter by training, sort of chartered accountant, um, you know, spent many years auditing resource companies, transitioned into the CFO roles of um, ASX listed mining companies, further transition into uh, mining companies um, as and doing what we're doing today. It's, um, I guess, if you go back 10, 12 years now, I sort of uh, came in, took control of a, a listed shell um, you know, went looking for assets, found some assets in Brazil in iron ore, and that was really the start of the journey that we're on right now. And I guess the last couple of years have seen us transition into uh, into this nickel sulfide project, and uh, you know, really glad to be part of that now. What, so, what happened with the iron ore projects? Still got it. Um, so it's, it was um, picked up 2010. We you know licensed it. We, we well, I guess even going back, we. We drilled it all out, resources reserves, mining leases granted, environmental licenses in place. Um, still have that asset today, but really just hit the headwinds of the iron ore price sort of around 2014, 15, didn't quite get it developed in time. So, you know, obviously the market where it is now, it's still a valuable asset to us, but we need to sort of do some things to unlock the value. But I, I believe that all of that work that we did there has, has put us in a position to be able to have moved through and been able to um, pick up the Jaguar project from Vale a couple of years ago. Right. So you mean in the sense of it's, it's taught you how to do business in Brazil? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, partly that. I mean, it, obviously, it, you know, Brazil uh, is something where you need to know know the ropes. Um, yeah, there's a few companies there that are doing that. We've been there now 12 odd years. We think we know what we're about. The core team that we've got um, is still with us from 2010. So that's been really good. But I guess importantly, doing a deal with Vale, um, you sort of need to know, or they need to know that you are capable. Um, and the deal structure that we put together with them was much the very low front-ended cash, you know, deferred payment structure, but principally a royalty stream coming out of the project. So you know, it's not worth anything to them if we don't sort of get the project up and running. And I, I guess our credentials that we had 
previously with the iron ore gave us a lot a big sort of runway into being able to do a deal with them on the nickel project okay gotcha so the the iron ore project as it stands parked up does it have any value on your balance sheet does it have any value in the market um i don't believe it has a lot of value in the market um when you look at it on an mpv basis it's probably got you know 250 million bucks value at the moment um so there's some work to be done um but yeah on the balance sheet it's probably carried at a, you know two or three million dollars i think um, okay. okay nothing substantial and would you like to offload that or are you going to keep it park it up for yeah look or? yeah we're investigating a few things at the moment that's certainly one of them um potentially looking at, at partners coming into that um to develop it obviously you know our focus now is really on the nickel so we're just trying to find ways to realize value out of the asset which as i said still we still believe has a lot of value to us okay interesting okay well let's let's talk about nickel today because that, that's the yep. interesting thing that the, the market's uh doing its thing and i think people are trying to understand where the next big economic mine is going to come from and you know how it gets into production and um, so start, start start with the if you don't mind the the thought that you had when entering discussions with Vale. did you i mean how much did you know about what you were trying to acquire at the time look i guess we probably had more knowledge of that asset than anyone else on the asx i mean if they if they had the knowledge it probably would have been gone a long time ago um, it was basically incubated within the Barley portfolio. Um, again, it's because of our exploration manager, our geologist on the ground that was aware that this asset was where it was. Um, we were already working some other exploration plays in the Karajas province. So, you know, we knew about it. We didn't know whether it was going to be accessible or not, um, but we put a pitch to Vale, which at the time they were amenable to. Um, and as I said, fortuitously, we've been able to work through and get that deal done. It's, it's a little bit of a sliding doors moment because, you know, you don't get that. You get to this market um, and where it is, and they're probably not doing a deal on that today um, simply because of, of where it is and the, the leverage that it might have. But I think fundamentally it was an asset that was too small for them and their development plans and, you know, the way that they need to allocate capital. Um, they hadn't really worked the asset since, 2010 as the last time they put a drill hole into it. But, you know, it's coming with 55,000 metres of diamond core, um, you know, pretty extensive uh, database of information. So it sort of has allowed us to elevate from looking at sort of grassroots, more exploration type plays into something that's a little bit more advanced um, and something that we can really get our teeth stuck into. And I think over the last couple of years, we've been able to show that. Okay, t tell me about tell me about the deal itself. I mean, do you owe any more payments on it? Yeah, no, we do. So we we the payment the upfront payment was only two hundred and fifty thousand US, um, and in conjunction with that, we swapped out some of our uh, a, a grassroots uh, copper gold asset quite close to their Salobo mine. So it was a package of ground that sort of I guess completed their um, their base in and around Salobo. Um, we've got to pay them another 1.75 million um, sort of going through into BFS activity. And then we pay them 5 million bucks on um, first production or commercial production plus the royalty. So um, a really good deal for us. You know, one that, you know, hadn't had to pay a lot up front. Um, those are the really good deals. And, you know, Vale have been really great to deal with. You know, sometimes, you know, people push back a lot on big companies and the way they go about it. 
I guess once they were made the decision that they were prepared to move on asset and do something with it, you know, they've been really professional and really supportive of how we're how we're going about it. It's it's interesting. I mean, a really good deal, but both sides of it um, there, and, and um, yeah, I mean, well done. But it, when you when you kind of walked into that deal, obviously you were looking for a new story to load into the, the company, right? Because the iron ore thing timing was was wrong. You needed a new story. It was a case of any story will do. We've got to keep this thing alive. Or was it like, no, this is the best choice available to us. I mean, I mean, honestly, when you look back, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, the, the asset that we swapped out was a pretty prospective copper gold IOCG opportunity, but it was early stages. So you know, we would have had to raise more money in the market. It would be a lot more speculative in nature. Um, you know, tough location where it was. So, you know, I guess on the other side of that is, you know, we, we like nickel as a concept, particularly nickel sulfides. Um, you know, uh, we've got some guys in our team that have worked in nickel sulfide before. They've seen the opportunities when nickel runs really hard and the, the leverage that you get in the market to those sort of things. So um, there's not many nickel sulfide assets in Brazil. The only other one really operating there right now is the Santorita stuff that um, Appian now have. Uh, that Mirabella had previously, but it's um, so yeah. To get hold of a nickel sulfide asset, I think was a goal, but we didn't know whether we were going to be able to achieve it or not. And you know, thankfully, we did. I mean, you, you, you say that, but if I if I look back two years ago, it was there was no sign of any super cycle happening anytime soon. I, I mean, it's, it, these are cycles; it's probably inevitable there will yeah. be one. But you, you know, so you kind of you kind of went early on that one. So you must have bought into the whole green thematic, battery metal thematic. No, I don't. I don't think it was as specific as that. It was more the fact that we saw Jaguar in what it delivered to us from where we were as a really really good opportunity. So advanced drill core. Leveraging our position where we had in some of these other assets, we look. We like the base metals. We like the Karajas Mineral Province. You know, we got knowledge in nickel, um, so it was really something that we wanted to pursue with vigor. Obviously, no one could look in their crystal ball and go, you know, nickel's going to go the way that it has. So, you know, that that side of it is fortuitous. But I I always believe that you know we know that base metals have cycles, and it was just a you know a good time to be getting into a cycle that might be copper or it might be nickel. But you know this is an asset that had all the right attributes with it um, for a junior company like ourselves to be able to sort of get in and really get our teeth stuck into. Yeah, I mean, look, look, you're 340 million market cap today for, from from I say very very low base. Um, you know, so we, this, this I'm just sort of digging in a little bit to try and understand, you know, how much is planning, how much is luck, how much is timing, and you know, all of that. Because in hindsight, yeah. in, from position you are, that's an okay conversation to have. You know, if if you've made a bunch of decisions yeah. and nothing had changed, then it'd be a very different conversation, I suspect. But so you, you've yeah, I I, I would characterise it. it. It wasn't planning to say I've got to be going into nickel. It was about planning to say I want to go into a more advanced asset. We want to be in Brazil. We want to be in the Carajás Mineral Province because that is the most prolific mineral belt in Brazil, particularly for base metals. So we, we had a disposition to base metals because of the earlier stage projects that we had. But, you know, there's definitely a degree of luck to it. I make no doubt. I think a lot of the things in resources, it's all about a bit of luck on your side and timing. So, you know, I think we've been fortunate on both of that. 
front. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, a lucky general, I think Napoleon once said. Um, so to, to give, give people sort of a sense of the, some of the numbers around what we're talking about here, because I want to talk about some of these deliverables that you've got coming down the line and a little bit of the, about yep. the market if, if we can, but just give us the headline numbers. Yeah, so look, you know, the last couple of years, we've been doing a lot of drilling of our own. We've probably drilled out now another 40, 45,000 metres of drilling of our own on top of the 55,000 metres that Vale had already put into the project. Uh, we put out a couple of resources. So the last resource we did was in March this year. That's now at 59 million tonnes, 0.96% nickel, 560,000 tonnes of contained nickel metal. So it's a pretty much, it is a globally significant resource in the scheme of undeveloped nickel sulphide stories. Um, what we've then done with that resource, we've run a base case for a production of a traditional uh, nickel concentrate. We delivered that at the end of March. Uh, we did a value-added study, which was looking at the production of nickel sulphate. We delivered that at the end of May. And really, the numbers coming out of that are you know, pretty compelling. I think it's a, you know, $1.1 billion uh, post-tax MPV um, payback in less than two years, IRR over 50%. Um, and doing all that off uh, 750 a pound nickel with a 50 cent per pound sulfate premium. So all of those, you know, all of the assumptions that we've put into the scoping study are, in our view, pretty conservative. Um, and, you know, we, we already see the upside of, you know, that with the nickel prices where they are. So, um Good project. Well, as it turns out, yeah, it is a good project. But you know, it's it's it's, it's amazing. Like you, the, I'm intrigued about the sort of the, the work that you've had done. So I want to talk about the team if we if we can in terms of what they've actually done. Because when people go, oh, we picked up a project from BHP, from Rio, from Valley, whomever, right? There's an assumption it, it'll easy breezy. It's going to be a good project for a you know a junior company to get involved with. But I mean, was it an easy path to get to where you are today? I mean, wh where were the bumps? What were the things you had to overcome? Yeah, look, to be honest, it actually has been pretty smooth sailing. Um, and I say that touch wood, you know, because, you know, at any point in time, things can get off the rails if you don't manage it properly. But um, it was extensive amount of drilling. The database was there. There'd already been a lot of work done. It just didn't meet the size factor that, that Barlow really needed. Um, what we saw is that there's a lot of, yeah, they sort of, you know, like they always do, everything's going to be bulked out you know, moving a lot of dirt, all that sort of thing. And for us, we saw that there was a number of uh, high-grade intercepts in their drilling, um, but it was all on a 100-metre space drilling. So for us, it's about closing in that drilling, you know, I guess initially proving that the continuity of that mineralisation is there, um, and we were able to do that. We've now been able to expand upon that. But I, honestly, I, I believe, you know, the work that we've done in Brazil previously and the team that we've already had in place who knows how to operate in Brazil has given us a big head start. It wasn't like I'm saying, okay, I'm picking up an asset in Brazil. Um, I've got a team in Australia and they've got to go and work out how to operate in Brazil. You know, we haven't been able to, in Australia, we haven't been able to go to Brazil for 18 months. You know, you do your two weeks quarantine coming back or whatever it's going to be. So it's been really tough. But we've had a fantastic team on the ground and as that's led by one of our directors, Bruno Scarpelli, Country manager, um, you know, has been with us since 2010. Again, our you know, GM of exploration, he's been with us since 2010, lived in Brazil for 12 years, worked in Mirabella, so knows Nickel, knows Brazil. Yeah, so those are the sort of guys that are key to, to our group. 
um, to be able to make all of this happen. You know, our exploration manager that's now based up on site in the field, he's been with us since 2012. And, you know, this is in a time where obviously markets have come off, but right now it's a pretty hot market and, um, you know, our people are pretty loyal to us because we've got good projects. So, um, you know, I think having that team together has allowed us to do what we need to do in a relatively systematic manner because we know what we're doing and we've done it before on a previous project. So, I mean, so but what happens now? Obviously, look, you've got a few more things to deliver and we'll talk, we'll talk about it in a second, but I think now's a perfect time to talk about, you know, single jurisdiction risk, you know, single country risk, um, single asset risk. I mean, given what you're seeing in the, in the marketplace and maybe given your track record, I mean, what, what do you do about that? Do you try and find other nickel projects? Do you look at other types of commodities uh, as well, whether it be in-country or outside of country? I mean, what's your thinking? You're, you're the CEO. Yeah, look, uh, I mean, I think I understand that there, there is risk associated with that, but there's a practicality to that as well where, you know, you can't get ahead of yourself, right? So, you know, that all costs dollars. You've got to be able to, you know, you've got to also be able to show that you can deliver on the project that you're talking about. So this is a relatively advanced project. It's got a lot of drilling. It's got a lot of work to do. But, you know, I'd like to make sure that we actually get this one right first. And, you know, if we get this one right, then, you know, the, the world is our oyster because the cash flows that this thing spins off is enormous. Um, and... It also opens up to if we get it right and Vale are happy because they're starting to see a royalty stream come through, well, therein lies further opportunity to do other things on things that might be too small for them. Now, they're not saying that to us directly, but they, therein lies the opportunity. You know, they're still the biggest tenement holder in Brazil. And if you want to get a good project, generally they've got hold of them. So, so. That, that, that's the carrot potentially, but conversations yeah, so like, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah. The reality is we actually have got diversification through the fact of having the iron ore and the nickel. Now, they don't naturally go together, right? But there is some level of diversification already in our portfolio. But I, I would still characterise to you that it actually makes sense for us to do the one project, wear that risk, manage that risk, get that right first before we start thinking about where do we go next. I mean, there's a number of companies that will grow, you know, look to grow very quickly um, yeah, I'd I'd like to make sure we bed this thing down first and and show that we're doing a good job on this one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Because I think what you're also going to have to show is scale. It depends what it depends what your end game is. Have you, have you got a clear sort of end game at the moment, or is it just okay, let's let's get the DFS over the line and and get into production? Yeah, look, I mean, it's definitely a, a push towards production. Um, yeah. You know, yes, it's about delivering the DFS, but it's. Um, as I said, it's about getting that up and running in the shortest possible time, getting through the approvals processes. We know that those things, you know, take some time. Um, we feel like we've got the right people to manage all that, but it's but it is about getting it into production, and um, then we can have a think about what we do next. It's just, it's just I, I guess, investor. I'm kind of trying to work out what what your end game is because it gives me a sense of you know what the potential is, and therefore what you know what what you then do with it because it's too it was too small for a valet. Do you think that you've got the ability to prove that perhaps it does have the scale where a valet, a BHP, we see them trotting up to Toronto, uh, and, and others are looking for long-term, multi-cycle, a like large-scale nickel sulfide projects? I mean, what, what's your intent? Yeah, I mean, this project has definitely got scale about it. It's, you know, it's a 13-year mine life at the moment. 20,000 tonnes a year. If we're 20,000 tonnes a year, we're going to be top 10 in the sulphide space. 
Um, yeah, and I think that's pretty substantial. It's got the ability to grow. We're doing a lot of exploration at the moment. You know, we've, we really haven't tapped the underground potential greatly. Um, most of the mineralization in that resource is still open pitable, which again is making it quite unique in its own right at the grades that we're sort of talking about. So, um, I think, you know, with, we actually are fortunate to have this asset that one is it's in on a path to production, generate the cash flow, you know, look to be able to do other things with that. But it's also that it's already got a huge ability to deliver more nickel sulfide mineralization as we drill deeper and as we step out further. So it's, it's a, I guess a development play, but in concurrently, it's also probably one of the most prospective exploration plays that we would like to think that you could look at. Right. Okay. So again, just asking the question because for you know, sort of either novice investors or for people who don't understand, you know, how the nickel market works or how you know you, you know you intend to kind of because like last you know from March two thousand twenty, you're, you're up nine ten times, right? Great. No one can argue with that, right? But when you get up here. It gets harder. That growth streak gets harder, Absolutely. right? Yep. So you've got you've got to you're starting from a much higher base. You've got to show and tell the market how that growth story continues. And that's yeah, we'll get into production. We'll throw off some cash. We've got really high grades, so payback in less than two years, one point eight years. Um, it, it's great. So we'll either build up a cash reserve here and we'll start whacking out dividends. You know, we're able to pay a royalty um, off to Valet, et cetera. It's all, it's all good. But then the kind of so what factor comes in. So what do you do next? What do you do with your cash? You know, can you deliver that scale? Can 13 years life of mine become 20 years uh, life of mine? Can you hit multi-cycle uh, type scale? Yep. You know, or do you go off and, and do start looking at other acquisitions? Because that's the tough bit here when, you, when you've been so successful so quickly. You've got to keep doing yep. it. Yeah, look, I, I think we've come off such a low base when we went into this asset, like the market cap was probably 25, 30 million bucks when we first did the deal. And we understand that we've had you know, success of where it is, but it, it, I still think that our market cap is only a small reflection of the true value of this project and simply through the cash that it's going to throw off. I mean, you're talking, you know, 250 million Aussie dollars a year, do that for 13 years. But, you know, to your point about, can it grow? Absolutely, it can grow. You know, the at the moment, the in the scoping study, the stope optimizations in the underground. So we've got, I think we've got six pits, no, eight pits, and four undergrounds. Un, undergrounds coming in under those pits. Those undergrounds are limited by the resource, and the li the limitation in the resource is limited by the drilling. So. You know, we've drilled down to a certain depth that's allowed us to take the resource to that depth that in turn means that the stopes can only go to the limit of the resource and that's probably around 250 300 meters currently you know we're now at a position where we've we've got the rigs out there we're able to step out you know 50 100 meters and if we continue to hit the mineralization where we expect it to be um and there's a lot of exploration tools that are you know giving us a good guide of where we need to go but the um you know, that mineralization does grow a lot. It means the underground grows a lot. Um, and, you know, there's further work on the on the regional part of this tenement, which, you know, wasn't ever looked at by Bali. So I'm very comfortable that this will be a 20-year-plus project. You're going to be spinning off that sort of cash flow over a long period of time, and then that gives you that flexibility. Okay, well, do I go and buy other things once I'm into this? Do I look to expand out around it? 
So I go and talk to Vale about whether I can get access to some of their other projects. You know, all of those sort of things come into play once you've actually, you know, start generating that cash. And, you know, that, that opens up, in my view, a world of opportunity as to which path that you take. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we're, we're, we're not talking too far away. I mean, obviously, if we look at where you are today, we're, we've got a, um, uh, a resource update coming through. Is that right? When's that due? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a resource update by the end of the year. Um, and then we'll target another one probably third quarter next year, which will be the resource which will go into the... Uh, definitive feasibility study and, you know, be the one that we base our reserve base off. Um, so there's, there's, I think we've got seven diamond rigs and an RC rig at the moment. We've got another diamond rig coming. Um, that work will get split between stout type drilling to expand, you know, under, under the, uh, the existing stopes, um, but also looking to infill, making sure that all of that resource that we've got is in the indicated measured category so that we can bring that into reserves when we release the DFS. And so how's the cash position in terms of being able to do all of this drilling and infill and expansion drilling? Yeah, so we've got, we're sitting on about 20 mil at the end of uh, June quarter, you know, probably burning about a million a month, something like that I'm drilling at the moment. Um, so, yeah, we're still well placed for what we need to do. We go continue on with that work. We've got optimization trade-off work going on. Um, inside you know around mine what are we going to do where we're going to start what you know starter pits cutbacks um having a look at the cost structures there's a whole raft of optimization type works going on now um that'll carry on to the end of this year and sort of probably the first couple of months of next year and so i think with the funding we've got and everything that we need to do we're really well placed to to get through all of that work you know we we're not silly about this at some point in time next year we'll need to come back and you know look to to raise to get us through to the completion of the definitive feasibility study work but i think there's a lot of value to be added before we get to that point okay and in terms of like you know the market at the moment you know we see a lot of companies coming on here and trying to align themselves or associate themselves in some vague way with the automotive industry and uh you know in that whole green thematic you you seem somewhat more pragmatic about your approach, which is getting on the business of building the business. So, what's your take on the market and and what you're seeing, whether it be with um, other peers or whether it be the yeah. way that markets being discussed with you know funds, etc. We are about just getting on and building the project. There's no doubt about that. Um, I guess. Part of, so if you go back to the deal that we did with Vale, part of that deal was that they have rights to the offtake. So no matter what that product is, they'll have rights to that product, which you know is good and bad. You know, it sort of limits your market. The traders might not like you as much as what, what other companies have, but at the same time, from our, from our point of view, we know that you know Vale is there at arm's length market based pricing to to buy the product. So that side of it is is really good. Um, for me, you know, we've made, internally we're very comfortable about pushing down the path to produce a sulfate rather than going down the concentrate path. Um, there's a number of reasons for that. You know, the payability on nickel, you know, in a concentrate is is what it is, and it's pretty poor, to be quite honest, relative to other commodities. But I think that's a, a nature of the changing market. You know, like two or three years ago, there wasn't a battery industry that was really being talked about. There wasn't the need to produce a sulfate. So, you know, what you've got now is a sulfide project that has got the ability to produce sulfate, which historically everyone would have said just produce the concentrate and sell it into smelters 
in Canada. Um, so for us, it's uh, it's a new market, one that we like. The, the fact is there's cheap power in Brazil. There's plenty of people. There's water. There's limestone for um, neutralization. So on the cost side of it, it it's, it's doable. On the revenue side, you close that payability discount that you're going to get plus giving yourself opportunity to tap into a sulfate premium. So if I was trying to do this project in Australia with the resource I've got, you know, the power consumption might actually do away with a number of those benefits that you get on the revenue side. So, you know, it's quite a unique thing that, you know, Brazil is 80% renewables, you know, principally coming from hydro sources. Um, it's relatively cheap. You know, we're probably under 10 cents a kilowatt hour for our power. So, all of those things go into say, okay, not only do I get the revenue benefit, I'm not actually getting whacked by the on the cost side of it to achieve the same thing. So we just look at it as much as anything on economics. I mean, that's, that's coming from a finance background. That's really what you want to do. At the end of the day, you want to make the most money for your shareholders. And, you know, we think that by taking the path that we're on, we're well positioned to do that. It's, it's interesting. So we, we, we've got this weekly um, uh, battery metal show, which, which we have on CruxInvestor.com, and we, we talk a lot about nickel each week. Um, and, you know, this kind of gr- greenification of a lot of the stories, you know, they, we, we, they, people feel the need to be talking about, you know, um, sequestration and zero carbon and any way that they can green the story, um, because that's what automotive uh, manufacturers, or the OEMs, are, are going to demand of their uh, commodity supply, right? So it's natural. But, you, but with, with obviously, do you feel that in some way the deal with Vale has maybe negated your ability? And maybe it's with hindsight; it's easy to say. Has it negated your ability to maybe fetch a premium for your product because you're tied in? I assume that's a hundred percent option that they've got yeah no there's definitely a right that they have i don't think it diminishes anything at all because of the, the premise of our deal was always around arm's length pricing so you know we choose the product they've got to decide whether they want the product if they want the product it's arm's length pricing um you know yes we've still got to work through that what, what's arm's length mean that as, as in they have the right to match right for us refusal i mean what, what, what are you talking about yeah, yeah i mean in effect is i can go out to a, a battery maker i can go out to a card manufacturer i could go and enter into some sort of strategic supply arrangement, they've got to have a look at what that is. But the good thing, I guess, if you're going down the sulfate path is it's LME plus a premium. So really what you're talking about is trying to square away what that premium looks like. But at least having LME as my base, that's probably 25% higher than what I would be if I was selling a concentrate in the market. So I can at least know that I'm going to get to that point quite comfortably. And then it's just arguing about the sulfate premium. Now, in the scoping study, we use 50 cents per pound. You know, right now it's probably closer to a dollar 50 per pound. It's, you know, this is the nature of what we're dealing with. And I think, you know, that in all likelihood, that premium is going to continue to exist, particularly in projects like this. And I think, you know, but coming back to your point about the, the emissions, it's not so much on that side of it. I think it's the investors that are driving, you know, the conversation about, you know, where you look, your ESG credentials. Yeah, we always knew that this project would be low emissions, but you know, we've done a bit of work with Scarn in London and you know, that that's proven that, you know, from where we sit, yes, it's we're comparing ourselves to um existing operations, but when you look at what it is, you've got your MPI at one end, you've got your ferro nickels there, you've got your HPL there, you've got your sulfide projects there, and then you've got Centaurus Jaguar project, you know, right down here, and we're likely to be sort of 
top 5% from an emissions perspective. And I think that is going to be favourable in the long run because people are wanting to get sulphides, but they're also looking at where you sit in that sort of category. I, I totally. I mean, again, it's a conversation we have every week on on, on, on the Battle Metal Show, which, which is, you know, we, we've discussed, you know, carbon credits, carbon taxes, you know, how do you, mm-hmm. how do you as a company eke out those margins? You know, can you charge premiums, what are the premiums for certain products? Um, and... You know, they, those things are important to understand. And, you know, that, that's why I was intrigued by, you know, in your presentation, yeah. you, you spent a bit of time talking about it. So there's some advantage there. But it, it would seem that North America would be the most likely, or I know you point to Europe as well, but North America would seem the most likely destination. Yeah, look, I think both of them, I mean, you're seeing the investment that's been made, Volkswagen, BMW, everyone's sort of going down that path. I mean, I think the European side of things is going to be just as strong as what you're seeing in North America. Um, you know, maybe the North American markets are going to be stronger from an equity perspective, but um, I think you know, being in that northern part of Brazil, we're well located to all of those markets in any event. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, Jaguar's got a lot a number of attributes going for it that you know, put us in a pretty good position going forward. Yeah, on on, on that front, I think I think that's true. Um, well, look, and look, Darren, I appreciate you coming in today and just just helping us kind of you know get a, a helicopter view of the project. I do hope you come back and maybe start talking about um, you know how that drilling is going because I think the, the, the thing I'd like to see from you guys is you know I know it's thirteen years life of mine and that's great, but. If you can drive that and build that and grow that, that you suddenly become, you know, re- genuinely world class projects. The grades are good, the, the margins are good, um, you know, and you've done a great job up until now. So, yeah, stay in touch. Let us know how you get on, okay? Yeah, thanks, Matt. Um, I guess, yeah, we'll look forward to getting back in touch, but I guess walking away today, if we can just leave a few things with your uh, listeners to, to bear in mind, you know, we've got a a very active exploration campaign underway at the moment, seven rigs, um, diamond rigs, one more coming. Um, we've got the dollars to do it. Um, we've got a big resource. Um, you know, the, I think that people will really start to see this project as for the scale that it is. And, you know, hopefully when I come back on next, we can go into a bit more detail around that. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.